He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. This is the best show. This is the number one show at 5 o'clock. We let you know what the heck is going on. And uh, in the studio with us, we have uh, a common sense Democrat. We have uh, we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, two common sense Republicans. We have Craig Eaton and the Chief Tony Carbonetti. How you doing, John? Former Chief of Staff to Rudy Giuliani, and uh, we have my sidekick Lydia Serrani. And this is a TriCast AM nine seventy. The answer WABC. Uh, 770 and WLIR and and uh, streaming worldwide on on WABCRadio.com. Lydia, who do we have on the phone, on the show today? Well, we have Professor Alan Dershowitz. He'll be talking to us about the Supreme Court of the United States nominee. And then we'll talk to Miranda Devine, and you can guess what she's going to be talking about, about Hunter Biden. Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. Oh, yeah. And Dick Morris. He'll be talking to us about everything and anything, specifically Ukraine. He's always got something interesting to say, Dick Morris. And Dr. Mark Siegel. Apparently, there's a new variant. Say it ain't so. But on the line for us right now, we have Professor Alan Dershowitz. How many decades at Harvard Law? Just what, four or five? At least five. 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 And he, but he's a Brooklyn boy at heart. He's a constitutional scholar and expert. We're going to do a Brooklyn, show, yes. doing a Brooklyn show soon. Oh, absolutely. So, Professor yeah, Dershowitz. We, we have to do that. And, uh, you know, it's a pleasure for me to be on. I really enjoyed and I'm still enjoying watching uh, Judge Jackson answer hard questions. I have to tell you whether you approve of her or not, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you have to commend her. She did a fine, fine job. She really isn't very, very bright. Um, I didn't know her as a student at Harvard, but I had one encounter uh, with her as a group of people. A white student put a Confederate flag outside her dorm window, and uh, Judge Jackson uh, along with others in the Black Law Student Association, protested it and wanted to be taken down. And the, the white woman who put up the Confederate flag asked me if I would represent her. And I said, look, I don't agree with you putting up the flag. This is somebody's home. You shouldn't do that. But I will defend your right to do it. And I did, and we won the case. And wow. I spoke to the Black Law Students Association, and I tried to persuade them that the best approach would be to not protest it, but use it as an educational moment to teach the students about the, how terrible slavery was and the Confederacy was. But I, I don't know whether uh, she and I ever can remember that issue very clearly. And I thought she came off today uh, very effectively. I don't think the senators came off that effectively. I think there was a lot of hypocrisy. You heard a lot of Democrats say, oh, my God, you don't. Ever judge somebody who they represent? They can represent murderers, rapists, rough. It doesn't matter who they represent. There's a right of every American to be defended. Well, except these Trump. guys, these same guys attacked me for defending President Trump, saying, "How can you defend President Trump? How can you do that?" I was canceled for defending President Trump, and none of these senators defended me. Well, all the lawyers, all of President Trump's lawyers, are being canceled. By the Democrats. I mean, how can this happen in this country? And by the same people who are now praising the right of counsel, saying everybody should have the right to counsel. But on the other side, the Republicans, some of them are now condemning Judge Jackson 
for who she represented when she was a public defender. These are the same Republicans that praised me for defending President Trump. So, you know, it depends on whose ox is being gored or, or which foot the shoe is on. And we need to get rid of this hypocrisy and say, yes, everybody's entitled to a defense, whether it's President Trump or the people in Guantanamo. And don't blame lawyers for their clients. I don't like most of my clients. I certainly don't approve of what most of them were accused of doing, but they have a right to counsel, and that's what I do, and that's what she did as a public defender. Well, I believe in equal rights for all. I believe that everybody should have the same rights. I mean, and right. it doesn't seem like it's happening that way. I mean, yeah. if something goes wrong with Roger Stone and something goes wrong with Paul uh, Manafort, they go solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. Solitary yeah. confinement. And other people yeah. do things wrong. And they, they, they get out. Who's that? The, the, the FBI lawyer that, uh, that uh, filed the false papers? Yeah. Not only is he out, he didn't ask for his legal license back. They gave it back to him automatically. And you're, you're and, and Rudy's looking for his license. He has to go in front did. of the bar and, and fight for his back. Right. Well, he shouldn't have to rough fight because he never had a hearing. That, well, right, Alan. Exactly right. They totally discriminated against uh, Mayor Giuliani. Yeah, yeah. Or, or look at uh, Smollett, who gets out on bail. I'm glad he got out on bail. But, but Kim Potter who is absolutely innocent, and the Court of Appeals will reverse the conviction, is in jail. Oh, some technical problems. Alan, you're going uh, in Alan, now. you're going in and out. Uh, can we call you right back no, on a I'll different line? A I will go to a place where I will not go in and out. I okay, promise you okay. I will be in, in the whole <laughs> time. Okay, here I am. Okay. So, Alan, I think right now those 51 uh, intelligence experts are, are putting together a letter apologizing to Rudy, right? Yeah. Don't hold your uh, yeah, breath. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that. Speaking of 51 and 50, I want to hear an interesting thing. That is, let's assume that this vote uh, for Judge Jackson goes down straight party lines. I don't think it will. I think a couple of Republicans will vote for it. But let's assume it goes straight down party lines and it's 50-50. Can the vice president break that vote? No, right. The Constitution isn't clear. Oh. It doesn't say. It says that it's a law. The vote based on laws. Correct. But when you have confirmation, wouldn't that give the executive too much power? It means the executive appoints and the executive confirms. You've got the president appointing and the vice president confirming. So I don't think it'll come to that, but boy, would that be an interesting constitutional issue. That would be an exam question I would give to my students. I was just thinking Alan, about I, I think that, you know, she has not shown herself to be unqualified. We may not agree with her on certain issues, but that doesn't disqualify her. So I actually think we should make it unanimous. And if a Republican doesn't want to vote for her, just abstain. Give them this. I mean, if it's 72 to nothing, you take I it off. I agree with you. T- t- take I it off. It's no longer an issue. Done. But let's remember where this started. This started with Robert Bork, uh, who was eminently qualified. He was a professor at Yale. He was a judge on the D.C. Circuit. But he had views that many disagreed with, including me. He didn't believe in a woman's right to choose abortion. He didn't believe in gay marriage, all of that. So he was defeated, even though he was eminently well qualified. Then a couple of years later, Scalia, who was eminently well qualified, gets confirmed 98 to nothing. What's the difference between Bork and Scalia? Scalia's a nice guy. 
<laughs> Everybody likes Scalia. I loved Scalia. Um, I knew his father. We were friends. Of course I'd vote for him. Bork was not a nice guy. He was a tough SOB, and he gave it back to the senators, and they punished him. Also, Bork was uh, a plain, ordinary, vanilla, white, Anglo-Saxon Protestant male, whereas Scalia was the first Italian-American ever nominated to the Supreme Court. So, of course, it would be hard for senators to vote against him. So Scalia got unanimously. uh, Ginsburg got confirmed almost unanimously. And now if you get 52 votes, wow, you're doing great. Everything's changed. But but she comes across as as level headed and even keeled, yeah. Judge Jackson, and and very likable. Think we give very likable. So I, I agree with Tony. I mean, this is something. If the only thing they have against her is what she did when she was in private practice decades ago, then they should yeah. just move on and and support her candidacy. And she did great things in private practice too. She yeah. worked for yeah. two firms. One of the firms was Nathan Lewin's firm, who's a great civil liberties lawyer. And, and Nathan Lewin and others in the firm think the world of her. And, uh, you know, she, 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 she's been a good judge. Look, I think she's the mirror image in some way of Judge Justice Barrett, who's now on the Supreme Court, uh, except that she's going to be more liberal. Justice Barrett's going to be more conservative. Both were extraordinarily well qualified. Um, and uh, Barrett got confirmed on a close vote. And I think she will be confirmed on a close vote. I wish it were unanimous. I agree with you. I think that would be the best approach. Alan, could I ask you, uh, it's Richard Weinberg, could I ask you to talk about the Iran deal? And uh, <laughs> I just so wrote both, an article about it. Yeah, I both, just wrote an article about okay, it. So you can t- the Iran just, deal is not a deal. The Iran deal is a contract. It quacks like a contract. It walks like a contract. I'm reminded of the story of when Theodore White, the great American journalist, was the first journalist invited to have dinner in China with Mao Zedong. And what did they serve? A big stuffed pig. White, who was Jewish, said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't have a pig. Mao said, in China, I decide where everything is. I hereby declare it to be a duck. Eat it. Now, you know, (laughs) we're not China. The president can't declare a treaty to be a deal. It's a treaty. It's multiple countries binding obligations. That's what a treaty is. And therefore, it should have to be submitted to the Senate for two-thirds vote approval. I I agree with that. that. But let me me ask you this question. And if they don't, what's the remedy? Here's the remedy. You get one-third plus one senators who would be against it, bringing a lawsuit for declaratory judgment in the courts, having to declare it unconstitutional. Now, there are two issues. One, do they have standing? Yeah, I think they have standing because they're the senators. They're the ones who are being deprived of their power. Second, is it a political question? Well, if, you know, if reapportionment and how you allocate districts to help one party or another is not a political question, why is this a political question? And so I think a lawsuit should be brought to prevent uh, the president from enacting a treaty without the consent of the Senate. That's what I think. I don't know where it, was gonna, where it will go, but that's what I would do. And, and I would certainly help prepare such a lawsuit. And on the substance of the, of the deal... Don't you think this is going to destabilize the Middle East? It will. It will turn Iran into uh, Russia writ small, and it will allow uh, Iran with a nuclear bomb to bully all the rest of the countries in the area. It will incline Saudi Arabia and the Emirates to try to get their own bombs, and it will destabilize the world. It's the worst possible thing to allow Iran to get a bomb. We made a terrible mistake by allowing North Korea to have a bomb, and we would be making a terrible mistake 
by giving a green light to Iran to have a bomb. So I just hope that we, we stop that and we prevent it from happening. And if it requires military action to stop them from getting a bomb, we're not talking about occupying a country. We're not talking about doing what Russia is doing in Ukraine. We're talking about a surgical strike against the Iranian nuclear facilities as a last resort. I would justify that. Professor Dershowitz, I have another question, a legal question. So there was a woman recently who says she was a victim of a sexual assault. There was a rape kit performed on her. Her DNA was collected. And then several years later, uh, because of that DNA that was in the database, she was arrested as a robbery suspect and she tried to get it thrown out. How do you feel about the DNA collection and how law enforcement can use it or not use it? I'm in favor, although I'm a you know libertarian and I favor the right to privacy. I think DNA collection is very important. It helps free the innocent as well as convict the guilty. You know, there's a famous case now where they got the DNA of a rapist. They knew that whoever had that DNA was the rapist, but they didn't know his name. So they indicted the DNA. They didn't indict the rapist. They indicted the DNA. Wow, that's something different. Came, right, and came within the statute of limitations. And so when they found the rapist, they could then just add his name to the DNA. So, look, creativity has a role to play, and that was very creative. Is that on law and order next week? No, no. Actually, I have a question. It's Tony Carbonetti. I have a question. Indicting the DNA, does that then allow you to go to those companies like 23andMe in search of that DNA? Well, Well, yeah, the family Maybe you do a... uh, a subpoena. Right. Could you subpoena their records in search of that DNA? Because this DNA yes. has been indicted. Yes, the familial did the DNA. DNA have representation? That's the question, <laughs> Professor. Did yes. the DNA have a lawyer appointed to defend did they have the a DNA? Lawyer? Uh, that would be a good idea. That you have fine. a lawyer to defend the DNA, and the lawyer would say, no, there isn't enough probable cause to go after this DNA. And who's going to pay the lawyer? The, <laughs> uh, the government would have to pay right. the lawyer. No, hey, I, I, Alan, I'm, I'm serious. I my cases pro bono. I'll defend the DNA. Of course. <laughs> uh, I'm serious. Do they go after these 23andMe companies now? Yes. They could. Now, there is a right of privacy. And when, you, when, you, you know, when, you go to the, when you go to 23andMe, you not only ask for uh, uh, material about your grandparents, you ask for your susceptibility to diseases. And that's confidential. It should be private. And the government should have to prove by the usual standards of getting a subpoena or a, a search warrant that there's probable cause for intruding on your right to privacy. So I think that would be a good thing. Now, I don't want to happen what happened with the, uh, you know, the court, the national security court, where it's just one sided. I, I agree with whoever said, yeah, appoint the lawyer to represent the DNA. Let the lawyer argue that there isn't sufficient cause. To get the 23andMe, the 23andMe, by the way, will have their own lawyers, and they will try to prevent turning over uh, some material because they want to continue to be able to say to their customers mm-hmm. that we assure you privacy. So it's look, we're living in the 21st century, and these are issues the framers of the Constitution never thought about. Today, uh, Judge Jackson was asked, does she believe in a living or a dead Constitution? She gave the best answer. The Constitution is dead as to certain things, the age of senators, the age of presidents, um, two-thirds vote for this and that and the other thing. Those are clearly fixed. But the words due process, equal protection, obviously they have to change with changing situations. There's a, there's a great story about that. Justice Scalia wrote an opinion involving uh, a GPS put under a car without a warrant. And, and he said, this is what the framers would have thought. And Alito says the framers couldn't have imagined that 
the best they could come is a very small person sitting in a horse and buggy for weeks <laughs> at a time and taking notes as to where the horse and buggy went. So, you know, you can, you can, you can understand both sides of that issue. Well, thank you so much, Professor Alan Dershowitz, for all your insight and wisdom. And tell us about your podcast again. Uh, you know how much I enjoy this. The podcast is called The Dirt Show. Uh, I don't want to tell you when you can watch it live because it would mean turning off your one. Show, but you can watch it on tape anytime recorded. Just go to uh, rumble.com and access Dershowitz and you can watch me when you're not listening to the cat show because I don't want anybody not to listen to this great show. Well, thank well, you. Not so the much. number one show at five o'clock. So I understand that. I want to be the number one podcast. So <laughs> well, well, so you become so number one. Me. You know what counts towards ratings? It ha- the podcast has to be listened to within twenty four hours. I did not know okay. that. Yes, yes. If it's if the podcast is listened to within twenty four hours, when it was done or alive. I think it kind of right. That's awesome. That's yep. good to know. So as well, soon as as soon as you finish listening to this show, access my podcast, but not before. <laughs> well, thank you so thank much. You and, so much. Uh, when Take we care. come back after the break, we're going to come back with Miranda Devine, and then of course Dick Morris is still up ahead, and Dr. Mark Siegel. But keep it right here, Miranda, to break down the whole Hunter Biden scandal, that and much more, right after this.